Let's hear the reading of the scripture today. It comes from Galatians 4, 1 through 7. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this Advent season, a season of holy expectancy, of readiness. So we ask that you would prepare our hearts for your coming again anew in a fresh way. Prepare our hearts to hear your word and let us be shaped by that word. It's in the name of the one who was born in Bethlehem, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, the movie The Terminal came out several years ago. It's a story about a foreign traveler named Victor Navorsky, and he's played by Tom Hanks. Some of you may have seen this motion picture, and it's an interesting story because he gets caught in some bureaucratic glitches. He arrives from an Eastern Bloc nation, a communist nation, and he comes to JFK in New York. And while he is there, while he was actually in the air, there was a coup d'etat. The military had taken over the governmental offices. And so the country he came from was in sheer chaos. And because of that, What they did, the United States said, look, your nation has canceled all visas. Therefore, for security reasons, we cannot allow you, we can't accept your visa. And so we can't put you on a flight back to your homeland, but we can't let you into our country. And so what you're going to have to do is stay. I don't even have my head mic on. Sorry about that. What you're going to have to do, there you go, yeah. What you're going to have to do is stay in the terminal. Stay in the terminal until further notice. And so the movie unfolds as the story of a man who has no place. It's about a man who has no place to go. The custom agent said, I have bad news for you. It seems that your country has suspended all traveling privileges on passports, and we can't honor your visa. And he said, you don't qualify 
for refugee status or asylum. You don't qualify for humanitarian parole or non-immigration work or travel or diplomatic visa. You simply are unacceptable. You're unacceptable. And in his broken English, he said, unacceptable? Yes, you do not belong anywhere until further notice. There is something within the human psyche. There's something in our wiring that that longs for and desires to belong. It's a human need. It's an inner response. And, and, And there's a need for family. In our human experience, something cries out in us, longing for family. And you know, family looks like a lot of different things, doesn't it, today? I mean, you have the traditional family. Some of us were raised in the traditional family. Others maybe are in a blended family where you have children that were brought in from maybe two pre-existing marriages, and then you even have a child together, and so his, hers, and ours, a blended family, single and single again, widowed or widowed, just a number of definitions of family in our day. And what's interesting about families, families are like people because they're made up of people. They're very unique. I mean, you've got some that are very eccentric, and you look at them and you say, they are bizarre as a family. They're weird. And then you have others that you see them as chaotic. I mean, their house is crazy. And their relationships seem rather crazy. And then there are the very intellectual and cognitive, non-emotional families. And then there's the comical families. And for most of us, we live in a dysfunctional family. And so families, like people, have a character all their own. And, And the reality for us today is we don't, in most cases, choose our family members. They're chosen for us. One Christian author says, friends, friends are God's apology for the family members we have. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and so, family takes on... It it takes on different meanings. It's not just biological. It it can come through a community like an athletic team. We've got a high school coach, and he says uh, our our team best functions when they act as family and believe each other as family. Platoons and a military troop, a willingness to die for one another, maybe even in the workplace. I went to a funeral this week where a firefighter had lost a loved one and the firefighters from his unit came to the funeral and they were dressed in their blues, if you would, because they were community. They were family. They stood with one another. They fought fires together. Why not call them family? And so family can be community, and that's why the church is so important. While we are 
full of broken people. And at times we even function, we have dysfunction. We are extremely special. Not even the gates of hell can prevail against, Peter said. Jesus said to Peter, the church. It's, it's a community. It's a family. And there's something special when a family or individuals come into the life of the faith community. A family of faith. And they feel they belong. That's important. Do you remember when you first came? You felt like you belonged, didn't you? And so, family. And, and I think what, what Paul is trying to say here in the Scripture is, is that um, there was a day where you may, felt, may have felt that you were a servant. He was talking about the fact that there are underage children that may be recipients of inheritance, but they will not receive that inheritance until they reach a rightful age, an age of accountability, if you would. And he was saying, in addition to that, there may be those who were once slaves, once servants, that have been adopted into the family. And they are the same as biological children in terms of their being beneficiaries of an inheritance. And so for centuries, the Jews anticipated the birth of a Messiah. Remember last week we talked about, all I want for Christmas is to be rescued, for someone to save me, for someone to redeem me. That's what the Jews were looking for. That's what the world was longing for, was a Messiah a redeemer, a savior. And the scripture says to us, and Paul is looking back over the quarters of time and salvation history, and, and he's saying, at just the right time, Christ came, entered time and space, dwelt among us. And because of that, we are now full heirs. While we've been adopted, Jews and Gentiles are part of the family. And, and there are some signs of that. We have some outward signs that speak to some inward realities. One of those is baptism. Baptism by water is a reminder that we're forgiven, that we're marked by God, that we've been claimed by God, that we've been adopted. And then John Wesley helps us, the father of our movement called Methodism. He writes in one of his sermons out of the manuscript of a sermon, the testimony of the Spirit is an inward impression of the soul whereby the Spirit of God directly witnesses to my spirit that I am a child of God. There are those moments in our lives, there is a moment in our life, life where we discover within our inward being, yes, God's Spirit is witnessing to my spirit my spirit is witnessing to God's spirit, and we call that assurance. That's our adoption certificate. And so we've all been claimed. And there's nobody more claimed than someone else in this room. 
And God says, you're not just like family. You've heard that phrase. You're like family to us. You are family. And that's why the table has been set. The communion table. For it's a table that reminds us we're family. It's a, it's a table that is a, a certificate again, a sacrament of God's love, His great love toward us. Lydia and Smokey are on the second row, and we as a church have adopted Gia. But Gia really belongs to them. Gia was in China, and they adopted her early, and some of you helped to make that happen. And, and there were some things in terms of her life that were not easy, even in those early developmental years, as she continues in those developmental years. There are some fears that she's having to overcome. But the wonderful thing is she has a mama and daddy that are offering her love and an environment of grace and guidance. Well, one of the things they recently celebrated was Gotcha Day. You, you know how you have a birthday, right? Well, they have Gotcha Day. That's the day they got her. And so they were taking her out to eat, and there was family celebration, and we had heard about it. It was Gotcha Day. Isn't that awesome? They don't just celebrate the birth of Gia. They celebrate the day they got her. I mean, there's celebrations going on all the time at that house. <laughs> and you know what? When we come to this table, every time we come, we ought to remember that this is a gotcha moment, that God remembers us. God has laid claim to us, and we belong to Jesus. We celebrate that in baptism. We celebrate it in communion. And, and what a wonderful thing. God's creative and sanctified imagination. C.S. Lewis said, The Son of God became a man, became a person, to enable humans to become sons and daughters of God. That we were once under the law. It was as if we were underaged. It was as if we were servants to a law which pointed us to a need for something greater. It tutored us, it guided us, Paul says, but now in Christ, God has laid hold of us. He has adopted us, and so much so that we're able, and he says in the Greek, Abba, which means Father. And so when Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, he was saying, Daddy, when we say, our Father who art in heaven, as we pray, we're saying the very same words that Jesus said. And it's a term of endearment. Something beautiful happens. And so, in some ways, whether we're adopted in, in, a, in a civil setting, the, the main thing we have to remember is that God... Psalm says, he is a father to the fatherless. That no matter who you are, you have a father. And we are co-heirs 
with Jesus Christ. No matter who you are. No matter if you have a biological father or not. My mother did not know her father. Never knew her father. Her biological father. But she knew God the Father. And so she was not fatherless. In Korea, shortly after the Korean War, a Korean woman had a relationship with an American soldier. They, well, he was unfaithful to his wife in the States. The Korean woman conceived and she had a child. And so this American soldier was able to get up and leave. And she was left with very little. And she had a baby. She did the best she could. But in that setting and in that day, because of the fact that she came from two different races, she was ostracized. They used a word which means little devil when they would speak to her. She had nothing to do with it, the little girl, the baby. The mother tried to raise her the best she could, but she couldn't do any more, and so she left her at an orphanage. And she began to be a part of that community, and that became some family for her. And one of the things she saw is her role, and they asked her to do this as well. As, as she was growing older, as she was becoming now a teenager, she cared for some of the boys, the little fellas, and she, she would look after them. Well, the time came for some Americans, an older husband and wife were coming to adopt a child, and it was almost as though the children are on display in a setting like that, and, and so her job was to get ready, and so she heard the Americans were coming, and so she, she bathed the boys, got them all ready, they looked good. She kind of let herself go. She struggled. She had bad complexion. She kept them clean, but she had problems with lice and other issues and just outwardly struggled with feeling like she was attractive at all. Well, this older couple comes in, and they look around the room, and there's translators, and they ask, which one would you like? strange, awkward, and they look at the boys, and this girl who's now an adolescent, she, she writes about it, she said it was like Goliath, this huge American man lifts up these little boys, he looks at them, and, and he says, I want that one, and he pointed to her, and they said, are you sure? We have all these boys, he said, he conferred with his wife, we want her. She was taken by surprise. And you see, that's the beauty of, of Christmas, is that God entered time and space, became one of us, so that we would be co-heirs with Christ. That God could lay claims to us. You know, a child loves its name. 
But I'm going to tell you right now, a father loves the word daddy. Think about that for a minute as I share with you, and I'm going to ask that we put it on the screen. I wrote something in 2002, and so it's a little dated, and you'll see now that uh, it's very dated. But it's an affirmation, all right? It was in my journal. I am a dad. I know the words by heart to Barney and Friends theme song. I can tell the difference between bird and nerdy. And I'm still working at correctly identifying each of the Teletubbies. I am a dad. Frequently, I find my wallet and keys and a mound of toys. It's not uncommon to arrive at the office with Cheerios stuck to my pants. I am a dad. I'm still encouraged to share bites of, of my ice cream. Morsels of unrecognizable food have been positioned between my lips. I am a dad. I am the grandfather of a little bitty baby. I have competed in the board game Pretty Pretty Princess. I have experienced the tickle of butterfly kisses. I dread the day my precious girl receives her first invitation for a date with some young some fella other than me. I am a dad. I have assisted in Lego construction projects, played Marco Polo, and experienced humiliating defeat in a family room wrestling match and matches. I am a dad. If I forget to pray at lunch, a small sticky hand reaches out as a reminder. I'm commanded to find Daniel and the big kitty cat in the children's Bible. My eyes are repeated, repeatedly directed by chubby, a chubby finger pointing to a drawing of Jesus hung above the teddy bears. I am a dad. I get teary-eyed late at night when I watch our little ones peacefully sleeping in big kid beds. I get terrified when my son runs too close to the road. I get goosebumps when I'm hugged at the knees. I am a dad. Some call me preacher Others call me pastor, but there's no other title I wear any prouder than the one that comes from the lips of my children. The title is daddy. It is a term of endearment that allows me to deal with disappointments in my performance, in people, in possessions. I'm grateful to God that I have been called to be a dad. Now, I am moved. Like my daughter yesterday, I called her. She's at college. And I called her for no reason at all but to check in with her. And she wrote back and said, Daddy, I'm working from three to close, which warmed my heart. <laughs> and I'll call you tomorrow. Tomorrow, love you, Daddy. I want to tell you, that moves me. Now, all these things I described, it's all changed. Now they drive my cars. They, 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 Borrow my deodorant. I mean, it's, it's, it's changed so much. But when I hear the word daddy, I'll move heaven and earth. And when our heavenly father hears us say, Abba, Father, it's our recognition. It's his affirmation that we belong. And some of you today may, may feel like you just don't belong. Where do I belong? You feel like you're in that terminal. You're in no man's land or no woman's land. I want to say to you today, as we share in communion, and Anthony's going to come now, you belong. 
your family. You've been adopted. And you're one as a part of the eternal family. Don't ever forget it. Let us enter into this gotcha moment where God has gotten a hold of us and will not let us go. Amen.